Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Harriet Frew. Harriet is the founder of the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast, works as a counsellor to help clients find peace with food and their body and provides training to mental health professionals around eating disorders and body image. Harriet joins us today for our Christmas special to tackle your concerns around Christmas and provide advice for navigating the festive period. Hello Harriet. Hi there Han, thanks so much for inviting me. Now it's, I feel like this has been such a long time coming. I think we agreed. I don't know when I came on your podcast. I swear that was like nearly two years ago. It probably was actually. It was probably a lockdown, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I remember. Um, I think I'd only just started Full of Beans, so it's probably just under two years. And I remember sitting in my par- in my bedroom at my parents. Um, kind of like squished up onto my desk because I just didn't have any facility for recording. Um, but yeah, so thank you for finally, uh, not oh. that it was you that held it up, it was totally on me. Um, lovely to finally have you. Oh, well, thank you. I think it was your dad's birthday, wasn't it, when you um, recorded before? I remember that now. It was, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, that, that would obviously be why I was, um, I think it, that was the first time I'd been home since COVID. I'd like before had, the longest I'd not seen my parents was like three weeks and then then we did a very long time in COVID so yeah um but I'm very excited to chat to you about the festive period um we were just saying before that there's lots of snow where I think we're we're quite close to each other anyway aren't we so it makes sense that we've both got snow yeah no we've built a snow cat this morning actually (laughs) in the garden amazing (laughs) I love that how did you how did you do a cat? That's really interesting. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, it's pretty much a snowman, but it's got cat ears and a cat face. And I tried to do a cat tail, nice. but it looks a bit bizarre. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. I can't, I'm actually looking out the window right now and I can't actually see any snowmen. So I may have to go and change that later. Um mm-hmm. But thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to speak to you about sort of navigating the festive period. Um, I think this time of year can be worrying for people. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to see this time of year as a time to really embrace what recovery is and to try and challenge myself where I can, but equally know that it's not an all or nothing approach and you don't have to do every single thing. Um but actually trying to be like, you know, what what can I manage right now? Um, so I thought something to sort of start with. Um, so we've got we've had quite a lot of um, questions from the listeners. So all of the things I'm going to be asking you today are like concerns that other people have had. So the first thing that um, I sort of wanted to chat to you about was navigating social situations. Um, so the main concerns that people had within this was sort of the high frequency events, um, maybe looking different if you are in recovery or maybe if you 
you know, have lost weight, gained weight, whatever's happened. Um, and then also managing things like buffets and sit down meals. So did you have any ideas around? I know I've just thrown lots of different situations at you. <laughs> um, any ideas for, for those sorts of situations? Yeah, well, I was thinking about the high frequency of events initially, because I think I don't want to generalize here because we are all individuals and very different. But I think it's quite a common trait for people that struggle with eating disorders sometimes that they are not great at saying no. I know that was definitely true for me. <laughs> and often as well, like, super busy. <laughs> yeah, super busy and just doing so much. So I guess there's something as well about you may be invited to many different things, but perhaps you do have permission to think about what do you really want to go to? What are your priorities? And not to say yes to absolutely everything. So I think if you can feel like you have some sense of control and you're not out every single day, so you're feeling that sense of overwhelm, that can really help as a starter. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I actually, um, so my Christmas period is chocker because like you said, it's so difficult to say no. Um, and for the actual period of Christmas, um, I go to my partners and I always have found it quite difficult because I wanted to be like, you know, the girlfriend that goes to everything or like, you know, I didn't want them to think, oh, why is Hannah not here? Like, does she not like us or whatever? And this year I've actually... I've really tried to navigate with my partner, like what I would actually like to go to. Um, and then in, within that as well, thinking about really, what is it that Hannah wants to go to? And what is it that the eating disorder wants to go to? Because I think it could be very easy for me to think, oh, like, I've got an eating, or like the eating disorder doesn't want me to go. So I'm, I'm going to say no. Um, and it's been quite difficult to determine, do I not want to go because it's going to be a meal or it's going to be this, that, or the other? Or, you know, is it just that actually that's not really something I fancy or maybe we've got a bit too much on in over those few days? Yeah, no, I think it's really hard to decipher that sometimes, isn't it? And to know what is your mm -hmm. own authentic voice and what is the ED voice. And I think it's important sure. as well not to overthink it all too much and to be quite kind to yourself because maybe you're not always going to know exactly what the right or wrong decision is. And it's probably not black and white like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, there's no perfect way with this, is there? But I think it's always something that I find really helpful is when I'm trying to listen to my authentic voice, I try to go with what, what my body says initially. So if someone invites me to something... If I kind of think, oh, yes, you know, and I feel that kind of energy and uh, stepping forward towards something, then that's probably something that's more right for me. If I feel that sinking should feeling, and we all have to do some shoulds, but maybe that's something that's not so right for me. So I guess, again, it's perhaps trying not to overthink it sometimes and go with that initial gut reaction if you're able to tune into that. And if you can't, it doesn't matter. It's all a work in progress. Yeah, absolutely. And that is also something that I have really been trying to say to myself this year in that, you know, whilst it would be lovely for Christmas to be a perfect time, actually this year might be a bit more challenging. Um, but if you do challenge yourself this year, then next year could be, you know, that Christmas that you are maybe, you know, one step closer to recovery, or you are fully recovered. Um maybe not expecting this Christmas to be the one that is 
the perfect. Well, there's no such thing as perfect Christmas. I think the idea of perfect Christmas needs to get in the bin. Um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, moving away from perfection yeah. in all areas is absolutely yeah, yeah. the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Um, and I suppose on the note of the kind of high frequency events and stuff, I think one thing that um, has definitely been worrying me and it def- it came up in the questions from the listeners is that also tends to mean a high frequency of either meals out or... Um, kind of buffet style meals or maybe just not an access to your normal eating pattern um so within that I have been thinking a bit myself about how um how to navigate that and I've got quite a lot of like friend misses um and so I didn't want to miss out on them because I genuinely do want to go and I want to see my friends but the thought of kind of having so many meals that aren't made by me or that are kind of not my usual meals um has been quite distressing so the way that I've decided to navigate that is to go and to actually take my own food which feels a little bit uncomfortable because in terms of recovery because I would love to be able to engage in the sort of food that's happening but for now that's what feels appropriate um so do you have any other advice or you know what do you think to that um in terms of navigating meals with other people i think it's really important in recovery to stay in your own lane and practice your regular eating or if you're following a meal plan to stick to your meal plan to stabilize your blood sugar to think mm-hmm. about all those self-care things but i think out in the real world, um, many people who don't have an eating disorder still don't have the most healthy relationship with food. And you might be around people that go really long periods without eating and then eat huge amounts. And I'm not saying there's any judgment around this. I'm just saying people have different eating patterns. When you're in recovery, I'm struggling with an eating disorder. I think it's so important to really honor your own food needs. So, you know, making sure whatever normally works for you that you stick to that. And that maybe you're quite assertive about that. So perhaps you explain and communicate to the people that you're going out with why you're doing what you're doing, perhaps asking them not to comment, to support you, really be on board with you. So I think the communication bit as well sometimes can be quite crucial because otherwise, perhaps if you do take your own food or you do have your snack half an hour before everyone else is going to eat their main meal or something that might seem a bit strange to other people that they really understand and appreciate why you're doing that and then they can maybe not comment or just be you know just really kind of neutral and and help you do that so I think that's really important you know and, and a bit of planning like I think you know if you know that you're going to be for example going to a buffet and maybe you struggle with binge eating or something that may you know you might really fear being out of control I think it's really helpful as well to think about, okay, what do I really want to eat from this buffet? Plan it in, make sure you're doing your kind of your regular eating around it. Um, And maybe to sit and eat it mindfully, not try not to kind of eat standing up, really kind of mindlessly kind of feeling out of control. So I think sometimes it's putting a bit of thought into it, not in a rigid, over-controlling way, but in a very self-caring way, thinking, how can I support myself best in this situation? Yeah, absolutely. I think what you said there about the communication, that seems like such an important aspect of it, because like you said, I think especially around Christmas, people often do change their eating 
routine because of eating out or things like that and for somebody in recovery it's so important that you maintain that regular eating you know prolonged periods of restriction do often lead to episodes of binging um but I think like you said that communication element is so important because it would be wonderful if you could you know maybe bring your own food or have a snack when nobody else is and for people to not comment but people are inquisitive and and people you know don't seem to have filters and stuff and they, they might make comments so um I have definitely that's something that I've been doing is you know where I feel comfortable saying to people I am going to bring my own food and I would appreciate if you don't comment or um you know just just making it so that we kind of have that discussion beforehand so that you can actually fully engage then when you're in the social situation because part of the reason that I, I want to kind of take my own food is one to make sure that I actually eat because I've noticed recently when I don't take food and have food when I get there it's it's very it's it's not substantial because I kind of freak out and then don't know what to do um whereas if I take my own that will be substantial um and then you can fully engage but you don't have to then worry about people making comments if you've already said to them this is what the situation is yeah, sounds like you've thought that well, thought that through well, Hannah. <laughs> I think, you know, to, to be supportive <laughs> and self-caring of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And then I guess the other comment, um, the other question that people had was navigating those comments. Um, and that could be on appearance, on food, I guess, diet, talk and stuff like that as well. So what's your advice for people in navigating those sorts of conversations? I think this is quite tricky, isn't it? Because of with the best will in the world, we can go into a situation, but we can't often control what other people are going to say. I think, again, communication is really helpful. You know, if you're pe with people who can understand and listen and who can take things on board, I think it's really helpful to let people know that you are struggling at the moment. It would be really helpful not to comment. You know, that would be really, really supportive maybe as well to get a close family member or friend to communicate that for you if you feel that you're not able to have that conversation yourself. I think that's another thing. Um, but I think I say as well that I think when you are in recovery, you feel like the spotlight is on you and you feel that everyone is looking at you and judging you because that's probably what you're doing to yourself. And it's trying to remember that actually other people won't be focusing on you and on your body in the way that you are and trying as hard as it is to depersonalize it a little bit and to realize actually other people are not so interested or are not evaluating your body in the same way that you are so to try and take that step back really and i think if someone does comment the thing i always think about when i get feedback from other people not just about bodies but anything is i kind of think you know do i really value this person's opinion you know, are they someone who has values that are similar to me, who I really trust, who's got my best interests at heart? And I think, you know, if the comment is coming from someone who's in my close circle and I really value, then I might listen to that. I might take it on board. But if it's from somebody who has no understanding, maybe, of eating disorders, who is saying something with really good intentions, really that comment is just probably something that you just need to put in the bin and forget about <laughs> and i know that's hard but i think it's trying to remember because so often 
we tune in to other people's opinions and actually really in the cold light of day, that person may know nothing about eating disorders, they may know nothing about you, they may love you and have good intentions, but that comment is not something to, for you to own. It's probably something about their projection, their own relationship with food and their body. And I was literally, before you said that, just going to say what I try and do if somebody makes a comment is I try and think about it from their perspective. Um, like, for example, the last time I saw my grandma, she commented on my body. And originally I was like, oh, like, why do you need to say that? And then I just thought, you know, it's a completely different generation. And, you know, there's certain things that she will have been subjected to and you know, body types were glamorized. And I feel like our generation are really moving, trying to move away from that. And, you know, with the sort of body liberation and body positivity. So whilst it's frustrating to get those comments, I also think that a lot of the time it's what people internalize and they don't necessarily, like you said, have bad intentions, but sometimes it can come across that way, which is then difficult to navigate. But I always try and see it from other people's perspective in that, they're not kind of saying it to try and make you feel bad. They're actually trying to you know, say something caring. It just maybe doesn't come across that way sometimes. Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? And I think like you're saying, that's like with your grandma, so many people have diet culture. I'm not saying this is true for your grandma. I'm just saying generally, but we've internalized so much about ideal bodies, mm. weight stigma, etc., haven't we? And I think a lot of people... In a way, if you haven't done the work, if you haven't been to therapy, if you haven't sort of read about intuitive eating, body positivity, body neutrality, you don't even realise you're carrying a lot of this stigma and a lot of these really entrenched beliefs. So I think I like what you're saying there, Han, because I think you're really looking at someone's response with a lot of curiosity and compassion and empathy rather mm. than taking it in a very kind of personal way and feeling attacked. Yeah, definitely. Because I think, like I said, I don't think people ever mean it unless they genuinely are saying something horrible. And then it's, you know, like you said, that's probably not an opinion that you kind of, you know, you want to take on board. So just throw that in the bin if you can. <laughs> um, and around sort of food still, um, I guess another thing that I think is quite common, it, you know, is that guilt. And one of the listeners has asked, you know, I am I'm fine in the moment with with um, eating the food um, because I kind of just do it because I know that I need to. But how can I get to a place of actually enjoying it um, and then not feeling guilty and wanting to compensate afterwards? Sure. Well, I think this is a real, really challenging one, isn't it, for many, many people? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I know what's helped me a lot sort of with the bigger picture of recovery is really rooting enjoying food in my values of freedom spontaneity connection pleasure all those deeper things that are really important to me and I know that when I'm on my deathbed I'm going to be thinking I want to have had those experiences I want to have shared with other people and done these things so that is quite difficult to hold that in the moment. I really get that when you're struggling with guilt after a meal. But I think rooting change in your values is really, really helpful. Because I think when we're just like, when we get caught in the tunnel of like, just after one meal or something, and we're caught in the detail, really hard to zoom out and see the bigger picture. So I think 
if you can get rooted more on your values and have a way of trying to remember that as well, you know, because of maybe your brain, your mind will be going off down the catastrophizing route, feeling guilty, thinking something terrible is going to happen. But if you can have something to kind of bring you back, whether that be some images or some journaling or talking to a friend who's really got your back, something to kind of help you do the zoom out again. Um, I think that's kind of like my top strategy, I think. Um, otherwise, I think in the moment, things like distraction can be quite helpful. Doing something afterwards that, enjoy, that you enjoy, something that will take your mind off it. Again, I always think talking to people is really good. But it's got to be the right people. Got to be someone who can listen, accept, encourage, understand, not sort of just tell you stop feeling guilty. Um, but yeah, I don't know what works for you, Han, particularly in those situations. Yeah, I think one thing that I am trying to work on at the moment, I really like what you said about like zooming out and seeing the bigger picture. And that's definitely something that I have been really focusing on in that, you know, right now, I don't know, putting butter on my sandwich feels like, what's the point? It's just like a little bit of butter. It's not going to make any difference, but actually being able to see the overall change that that will have long term um, when you do keep, you know, keep consistently doing those little behaviours. Um, but I think what I am really trying to do as well in terms of enjoying food is to stop taking, uh, to stop putting food on this pedestal of something that is amazing and that is wonderful. Because for me, you know, food is good don't get me wrong and I can completely like acknowledge that there are some things that are super delicious and there are some things that are kind of you know you just here and there with them but I think personally for me the the food is so much more because it's especially around you know events like Christmas it's the connection with people and I I think that what I'm trying to think is rather than being fixated on the food that's on my plate and the numbers and you know oh I don't want that bit and how do I cut out that bit is just I'm fully present right now and whether that's I'm eating a meal on my own or I'm eating a meal with other people like realistically I want to get to the point where I don't care what's on my plate because I'm so engaged in the conversation or so enjoying myself in the moment that that's the important thing for me and I think so when I first read this question it was like you know eating food is one thing how can I learn to enjoy it and not feel guilty that the the idea of connection and being in the moment that sort of answered that for me because if you're connected in the moment you know you're going to be enjoying you know what you're eating and that's kind of a sideline but you're also enjoying the conversation you're enjoying the people and then there is no guilt afterwards because you're engaged in them rather than the feelings that are being brought up by the eating disorder mm, yeah no that sounds really helpful and for so many things, isn't it? I think with um, ED recovery, becoming more present, being in the moment, being able to kind of rather than off a million miles away, analysing everything, mm -hmm. catastrophizing, etc. Really detrimental. Yeah, definitely. And I think what you were saying about distraction, I think that's really good. A really good idea as well, whether that's sort of, you know, journaling, um, watching a movie, playing a game, like whatever works for you. Um, but one thing I did want to ask is, you know, if somebody's struggling with exercise or maybe they're struggling with other forms of purging, how to navigate that? Because 
I think if I'm being honest, I kind of, so I struggle with exercise and over the Christmas period, I have kind of said to my parents, you know, I, I will still want to exercise because I don't want to completely cut it out because then I will be a, a horrific person to be around um, and that will make Christmas even worse. But at the same time, you know, those those behaviours, they may not be available sometimes. You know, you could be out all day or, you know, not have time um, or not have any privacy for that. So how would you navigate that in terms of, because I think, you know, if you've not got access to that, that can be really difficult because you're using it as a coping mechanism. But equally, it could be a really good time to challenge, you know, not having those coping mechanisms and leaning into other things like support instead. Mm. Well, I think the whole like planning ahead, staying in your own lane, focusing on your own recovery, you know, with your regular eating, et cetera, et cetera, is going to massively help to avoid the compensatory strategies. Because um, I think often people mm -hmm. end up perhaps, you know, missing meals and then perhaps overeating because they've got so hungry and then feel that sense of panic. And then before they know it, they're compensating. So I think the whole boring, unsexy work of recovery of the kind of planning regular eating, et cetera, so important. Um, I think, again, it's just having like a list maybe of self-soothing, self-caring strategies as well that you can turn to. So you feel like in the heat of the moment, you're not suddenly lost, that you feel that you have got things that you can go to. People as well that you can talk to. I think the connection thing, again, is massively helpful. And Maybe as well, it could be like you're saying, it could be a time to challenge some of these um, strategies, perhaps particularly like the overexercise. But maybe as part of your self-care, like it is perhaps still including a short walk or something in there that is going to perhaps get you away, help you clear your head, help you just regulate your emotions, have a bit of space from everybody, maybe. Um so I guess it's going to be a bit different from individual to individual and whatever your compensatory strategy is. But um, I think it's really going for the self-care, self-soothe, self-compassion side is going to help you through all of that. Another thing that I've been thinking is also, and obviously this only applies to the exercise, um, but if that is what someone's using as a compensatory behaviour is maybe trying to, my personal exercise is very isolated so you know if it is something that I still feel I would like to do to actually do it with other people so like you said going out for a walk with your family rather than going out for a walk on your own um or you know doing whatever with with somebody because I think actually that in itself is a really good challenge because often the exercise can be isolated because then it's just you and the eating disorder and you can kind of you know, do things that maybe you wouldn't do with other people but if you have maybe somebody else leading the exercise or you go with somebody else I think that can be really helpful um to sort of break a few rules along the way mm, yeah no sure and I think we're just saying there about the breaking the rules like as often we often have so much fear about breaking our rules but actually you know I've got mm. a client I'm working with at the moment actually who has got um a foot injury and has been forced to take like she's had to sit on the sofa literally for a month <laughs> and um, it's massively challenging her eating disorder in so many ways but actually almost in a really helpful way because of she's having to really face um, I mean I wouldn't wish this on anyone but she's having to really face some of her fears and to live through mm -hmm. live through it almost and realize actually 
nothing really terrible has happened because I think sometimes we can really catastrophize about what if, what if, what if, if I don't do my steps or whatever it might be for your exercise. So in a way, I know it's really difficult, but sometimes it could be something that's going to really help you if you have to be challenged um, and then you get the opportunity to like live through it and survive it and get new information. Yeah, it's almost that taking away the choice element. I often think that's the really hard part of recovery, because if I think, you know, particularly with exercise, I don't think obviously, again, it depends on the individual and some people may have to stop full stop. Um, but sometimes I think that actually incorporating exercise in recovery can be really beneficial because you can you can kind of navigate your relationship with exercise and you can determine you know where you want your relationship to be and how that's changed um but it's so difficult when you're doing that in making those changes because ultimately you have a choice and that choice has to come from you and you have to make those decisions to you know whatever you're going to change whereas you know if you're just stopped then you can you can begin to navigate that process um but like you said you wouldn't wish that on anybody and you know there are benefits to you having to make the choice because you're you're getting that assurance from nobody but yourself and um, that reassurance in terms of you know it's okay to not exercise ah is it really like i think that's that's really difficult to navigate yeah no, it really is isn't it and i think in sort of diet culture as well we've reduced health down to food and exercise so often haven't we and it's trying to remember, again, kind of back to values in the bigger picture. You know, if you look at centenarians, you know, people that live to 100, they're not like counting all their steps and just eating green foods or, <laughs> you know, the thing that makes people live for a long time is having purpose and connection and relationships and laughing and, you know, doing things that really provide meaning. And yes, you know, diet and exercise are part of that whole picture, but I think, again, it's really remembering that, isn't it? And and again, thinking of that bigger picture, you know, what do you want to be doing spending your life? You know, do you want to be like walking all these endless steps? Or do you want to be actually connecting, having fun and going on adventures and all of that? Yeah, I love that. That's that's so true in that, you know, people that live the longest, they're, they're not obsessed with, you know, calories and steps and all of that. Um, so that's a really nice reflection. I suppose in terms of compensatory behaviours as well, I just wanted to discuss a little bit maybe about things like binging and purging, because I think it can be a time where there is maybe more food in the house. Um, you know, especially if you live with other people, they might have more foods that maybe you don't normally have in the house, um, which could potentially lead to you know, self-induced vomiting. So how how would you advise people to navigate that if they're feeling uncomfortable with the food in their house or sort of the access that they've got to different types of food? Yeah, I think great question, because this is really, really challenging for a lot of people. I mean, I think, again, back to the regular eating, stabilising blood sugar, making sure you've got that as the scaffolding of your relationship with food because of so many people that end up binging are missing meals, dieting, not eating enough. So then when they're around foods that can be triggering, of course, understandably, it's going to be really hard once they start eating these foods that they won't feel they're able to stop. So I know it's really, you know, I've repeated myself a lot with this, but I just cannot stress enough how important the regular eating stabilizing blood sugar is. 
And then I think if you want to, again, introduce maybe foods that are forbidden and are a bit scary, what's really helpful to do is to think about, okay, which foods do I really enjoy? You know, which ones do I really like the taste of? And then maybe to plan them in. And I know, again, that feels really unspontaneous and not much fun in the beginning. You probably just think, well, I just want to eat everything. But to begin with, if you've been dieting a lot and you're trying to introduce foods, you're going to be at risk of being out of control around those foods. That's a natural, it's a natural way human beings are designed. You know, we are, when food is available, we want to eat it to, um, you know, counter those periods of um, scarcity. So it's important to plan it in, sit down at a table, try to eat it mindfully, maybe eat it with a friend, distract yourself afterwards. So do all those kind of self-caring things because then you, are, you will much more likely have a kind of positive outcome of then it not leading to a binge. Um, and I think, obviously I'm saying all this, and it sounds quite simple, but actually it needs a lot of practice and repetition. So it's really important, I think, you know, to, you know, just take baby steps and don't try and introduce all your old forbidden foods in one go. Really important to maybe write a list, grade them, work on, you know, one or two foods a week, do it really slowly so you can build up your tolerance and to different ex exposures of different foods. Yeah, I really like that. I think, again, it goes back to what we were saying earlier in terms of not expecting everything to maybe be sorted this Christmas, but um, maybe using this time of year to add in a little bit of a challenge um, if, if that's something that you're able to do. And I think one thing from what you just said there as well I think you know if you are able to get somebody to support you with that so maybe you could ask someone on Monday I'd like to have a mince pie or something you know could we have that together um which again I think is a really lovely idea but I'm kind of thinking in my head you know for those people that don't have the support um that maybe you know this time of year is not great for them because they do have to see family members that they don't really want to see if somebody's not got that sort of close you know that support in place and they are worrying about seeing family members do you have any tips for navigating that because i think the food element is one thing but then if you've got kind of you don't want you don't want to spend time with those people or you, you don't get on as well as you would like that's sort of another element added on top yeah, I think it's really challenging, isn't it? And I think, again, like moving away from this kind of perfect idea that Christmas is the best time where everything has to be perfect and we all get on with everybody. You know, the reality is, I think with our families, sometimes we can really love the people in our families, but sometimes the relationships aren't always easy and they aren't always the best for us. And I think it's OK to be just really honest with yourself about that and to maybe as well be able to kind of lower your expectations um, and I think if you've got someone in the family who is you have a particularly difficult relationship with, maybe you need to have some really sort of firm boundaries, um, you know, about I mean, maybe you can communicate those boundaries with the person. And but also if you can't, maybe you need to have your own little strategies of self-care to make sure that you can protect yourself and have time away and have time to really stay in your own lane and keep focused on the things you're trying to work on. And I think, again, back to what we've talked about, lots of times on this podcast today but talking to people who do get it so you know even if you haven't got someone there physically you know it's reaching out to maybe someone in your network and just saying like oh god I'm having a really bad day this has happened 
um, you know, someone who's just going to really be able to listen and empathize and support you um, because of Christmas isn't easy for many, many people. I think in eating disorders, outside of eating disorders, and it's a really helpful coping strategy that we can have people we can vent to when we're in these situations sometimes. Yeah, I really like that, actually. I was just, um, <laughs> I just had an image of myself. Um, I mean, I am very lucky in that I have a very good support network in my family. Um, but even if you have that, sometimes, you know, if you're in a situation and then maybe another person that you're with, you don't get on so well, you find them, the conversation is quite difficult. I have a really vivid memory of me. Um, I had a code word with my mum and I, I just was like, oh, I'm just going to go to the toilet, uh, went to the toilet. And then I just text my friend and I was like, oh, and, and I'd already said to him, you know, this is happening today can you just be there just in case like something goes wrong hopefully it won't um and that was really nice because I'd communicated that to him and it didn't mean that you know he had to not live his life or anything but he was just aware like if he had attacks I probably um need to answer and that made me feel much better going into the situation because I I knew that worst case scenario I didn't need to sit there and you know let the conversation stir around in my head I could just go to the toilet, text my friend, and then kind of go back out feeling a lot more confident. And I think sometimes that is all you need is just that sort of like five minutes to sort of, you know, reframe what's just happened um, and then be able to move on. Whereas they then also have a vivid memory of another time of having a family member around and they made a comment about um, something that they were gonna do after they'd eaten. Um, and I just was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that and absolutely exploded, ran upstairs, cried. And and then it made the whole <laughs> event quite, um, quite difficult for everybody because I had gotten upset. So I think having, like you said, planning that in place, um, even if they're not there with you in the situation, to just have somebody that you can kind of vent to if, if required. Yeah, no, I think it's so important. The connection bit, isn't it? I know my own recovery, the connection bit with other people is just so, so important. And I think, you know, linking this back to what you were saying earlier about your grandma and, um, you know, having perhaps like curiosity and compassion for why someone might be saying a comment. And um, so it's not so personal, isn't it? And I think, again, it's trying to remember that in a way, like we, our family members, just as we are, are imperfect human beings in a way, kind of trying to do their best. <laughs> but sometimes it's going to get a bit wrong and they're probably not out to personally attack you. Well, hopefully they're not. I mean, if they are, please, that's a different story. But it's just trying to remember that really. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, I think this is probably a big ask as well, but sometimes as well, if we can just see a bit of humour in something or see the kind of lighter side mm -hmm. or do the zoom out, it, it really helps just kind of like yeah. um, dissipate all that stress. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, again, the zooming out, I think, particularly in anorexia, that's not something that's often a trait. It's it's very detail focused, but being able to zoom out um, really does help. I guess in terms of um, family and friends support, are there any other things that you think are uh, like useful tips? If, if somebody's got a family member or a friend that's going through an eating disorder, things that they might want to think about to support somebody and um, I think communication like you said is key and actually as I was saying that I was like well my top tip would probably be to ask them how you can help them um but do you think there's anything else um that you would advise 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely go with your tip of like, um, one thing I wrote in the notes before we came on, actually, as I was thinking, like, don't assume in a way what someone might find helpful mm-hmm. <laughs> because of with our best yes. intentions. <laughs> <laughs> we can often get it really wrong. Um, so it's always best to ask, isn't it? To ask someone what would be helpful because sometimes as well, it might not even be doing a lot. It might just be being very neutral and being supportive mm-hmm. in the background, but it's good to hear what someone's going to find specifically helpful um i think as well for family members like family members sometimes might understandably be really anxious or upset or distressed um, and that sometimes can come out in anger or frustration towards their loved one so i think it's really important that family members do their understandable need perhaps to vent some of those difficult emotions to a loved one to you know, um, someone outside the family or maybe, or, you know, not to the person suffering with eating disorder. So I think in a way, as a family member, you have permission to have all those emotions. But what you want to be doing is taking those probably somewhere away. So you're not diverting all of that onto the person suffering. And I think it's just trying to be as loving, kind, accepting, you know, supportive, encouraging as possible. Um, you know, and I think that's what as family members, most people are intending to do anyway. But sometimes just in the whole stress of Christmas, yeah. it, it doesn't always end up that way. So I think it's like going going with love, really venting your emotions that you're going to feel to someone, you know, not to the person that's suffering and to ask the person who is suffering. What what can I really do to help you? You know, let me know. Um, because, and then they can tell you. Yeah. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think you've knocked the nail on the head there. I think that not assuming, um, because also, you know, I think something I've definitely found is day to day, the way that I want to sort of navigate different situations changes. And I am fully aware that that can be tiring and that can be frustrating. But one day something might feel way too much and the next day I might feel like I can sort of challenge it. But I know that in a in that situation, it would be quite you know distressing for somebody to say to me like oh well you couldn't manage that yesterday so obviously we won't do that today um and that you know making that assumption so even day to day or hour to hour I think I think things can change um but I also like what you were saying about sort of navigating you know venting elsewhere um I think particularly around this time of year but you know I think it happens all the time is people can often maybe try and guilt people into things or whatever you know like oh you know please could you have that because it would make me really happy um or you know I can't believe that you're doing this like you're ruining whatever um but actually being able to see that the person that you love is still there it's just that they're struggling with something right now um so you know if if you are getting annoyed that they can't do something or you know they don't want to engage in something you know maybe going off and 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 having your own person that you can text to say oh they're not doing this if it's just the two of you or you know if there's another family member that you can maybe just obviously not going behind people's backs but just for you to be able to let out that frustration um and then you know if it comes to it that it's something that you feel you can have that conversation around um again you know navigate it's really difficult to navigate isn't it but doing it in a way that is going to be positive for their recovery not you didn't do this and that upset me maybe uh well, I noticed that you kind of struggled with this and I just wondered next time you know, if there's anything I can do to help or whether you wanted to talk about why that was difficult. So really approaching those situations with compassion, because I think there's so much pressure at Christmas for everything to be perfect. And literally, like 
I know we said earlier about like getting rid of the word perfect, but I think there's so much hype around Christmas. And actually, like, we've all got our own individual things that we like to do. And there is no, like, one size fits all to Christmas. It's just do what you want. If you want to eat chicken on Christmas Day rather than a turkey or, you know, whatever, just do just do you. Yeah, so true, isn't it? Um, and, um, yeah, I guess it's um, just thinking about the whole thing about perfection and the pressure. Maybe as well, it's just making sure that you're not, comparing or going on social media or whatever it is that your trigger is that can fuel that need for perfection as well you want to be really taking care of yourself and avoiding some of that yeah yeah absolutely definitely um so i think we have gone through all of the questions that we had from the listeners so thank you so much for that um were there any other sort of nuggets of tips tricks or information that you wanted to sort of share around navigating the festive season with the listeners i mean i think you've you've done it very thoroughly han actually i think you've covered and, and the listeners have covered most areas <laughs> really <laughs> i mean I, I would just really emphasize i guess just like the staying in your own lane doing what's right for you in recovery your regular eating stabilizing blood sugar connecting with people you know all those things that we've really talked about i think those are the sort of the cornerstones of surviving really letting go of perfection and remembering you know it is only one day christmas day isn't it or a few days you know it in the bigger scheme of things it's all going to be over <laughs> in a couple of weeks you know and um holding that bigger picture as well because of um you know you will get through it and it doesn't matter as much as we think it's going to um yeah yeah yes i think you know that's so important and also like just try and enjoy yourself like whatever yeah. enjoyment looks like to you um you know whether that is you know spending loads of time with your family or watching loads of christmas movies or just completely ignoring the fact that it's christmas like whatever you enjoy and makes you happy like we i think there's so much pressure and it's it's mostly from you know um the oh, i can't think of the word but like all the shops and everything you know with all the christmas cards and the christmas presents and you've got to get this best present and all of that but it, there, there shouldn't be that pressure you know at the end of the day it's time for people to come together if they want to um to enjoy themselves and yeah just to keep themselves warm <laughs> <laughs> yeah very well said but yeah thank you so much harriet where can people find you for more tips and tricks i know you have a brilliant instagram um, and your podcast as well so where can they find out more yeah, so I'm on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. So yeah, unfortunately my old account got hacked, so I've had to start again. But <laughs> I'm I'm starting slowly. Horrible. Um, Horrible so and the eating disorder therapist podcast or the eating disorder therapist.co.uk, my website. Amazing. Well, um, I wish you a very happy Christmas, um, and I hope you have a lovely festive season yourself. And yeah, I hope. You enjoy the snow. Maybe you could make a, a snow dog next to your snow cat. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks, Han. Thanks so much for having me. And I hope you have a wonderful Christmas too. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.